Now we're recording. This uh, artist's rendition up here would probably be worth thousands if it was in a museum. But here it's a little more than chalk and magic marker. And just to recap what I'm talking about, my message from last week was grace will forever follow you. And what I tried to do is to get you to see a picture of this is before time began. This is before eternity. This is when the Trinity, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and I used three colors of chalk and made those, and I, I was pretty impressed by that. And that's, that's where it all began. But I put a little red dot there because I want to let you know that's you. You were there before time began. You were in the love of God. You were in His grace. You were in His mercy, and His mercy would always follow you. This is the beginning of time. Adam. world was created, and it goes across to the end because it will end. It will come to an end. This world will come to an end. Everything will come to an end this week. So love it and know it. But God's grace continues right throughout. doesn't change. It's always there. In this timeline, there is a man called Adam. And he fell. It's awful hard to give a description because this is Adam's perception that he fell out of grace. But in reality... Adam stayed right here, right in the timeline of God. See, Adam had this problem. And you've, you find a description of it in 1 John four eighteen. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Adam, in his fall started to fear. He thought God was going to punish him. So his perception, he fell out of the grace of God. Never did. God always loved him. Because he always loved mankind. It didn't change. But this is where, where Adam's fall took us. Because we've always had that fear of punishment. And I don't care if it's from your... your father, your teacher, the police, the whatever, we all have this fear of punishment and it keeps us in line to the world standard. But if we were in grace, we would know that if there's perfect love, there is no fear. I had a little incident with my uh, puppy German Shepherd again last night. When he stands on his hind legs, he's only nine months old. When he stands on his hind legs, he's as tall as I am. He's six feet tall. Well, last night I went out to get the mail and left him at the door and came back in, and he thought that pork roast sitting on the counter looked like a good meal to get in the two minutes that Dad was outside. Well, I tried to drive out the fear of that dog. <laughs> and that's not probably the right way to do it. 
But I dealt with the situation because I caught him in the act. In the very act of, and when he looked at me, you should have seen those big brown eyes. I want to go outside. (laughs) No, come here. No, come here. No, by the collar. And as puppies sometimes do, their, their bladders evacuate when they're a little nervous. And he got taken back into the kitchen and I put his chin on the counter and I got in his face and I told him he was wrong. But my point is he feared my punishment. And it was made for two hours he would not come near me. He stood off by the wall and just stared at me. He was afraid of me. He was afraid of being punished. Though I still loved him. Come here, Jinx. Come on. Here's a treat. Took two hours for him to understand. Dog's attention span isn't very good. That's why if I tried to punish him five minutes after the fact and he was gone, he would, what are you doing? But even even in a, a, a creature that God created is afraid of punishment and it brings fear. In perfect love, I did not show perfect love. I showed perfect correction, I guess. But that's the way man has become so much with God. We have come and we have lived on this level for so long, it has become our norm. No offense. But it has become what we thought is is normal. And the church has taught that. You are separated you are separated from his love, from his grace. But I say, no, his grace is going to follow you forever. It, it doesn't matter what you, his grace is still there. Dr. Keith Lee's definition, and Terry had given it the other day, is grace is everything that God did for us through his son. That's the first line of it. Grace is everything that God did for us through his son. Grace is everything. Everything that God did for us through Jesus Christ was grace. Nothing but love. Nothing but for love on us. Now, God saw the the world. He never pulled away from the world. He walked with us. We know he was still here because in this period, this is Noah, the circle in the middle. This is where... The world was destroyed by water. The flood. He took Enoch. And I talked about last week that Enoch got in the habit of habitually walking with God. It was his habit to walk with the Father. It was his habit to be in the presence of the Father. And God just said, come on with me. Come on up with me. Well, at this point with Noah, and it's, it's interesting when you, when you read all this, but it comes up to a point where Noah, who was in the line of Adam and Seth, not Cain or Abel, Adam and Seth. And if you'll read in Genesis 5, it says that God made Adam in his likeness and image. And Adam made Seth in his likeness and image. 
And after that, we just started begetting kids. The likeness and image started to die. The likeness and image of God started to die because, because of the fall. The understanding that man down here had. And in Genesis 6, 5, it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in all the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He looked upon, God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. You know, sometimes we think the world's pretty bad now. But at this point, when God told Noah to build the ark, everyone, everyone was totally corrupted and evil. We can't imagine that. Pick the worst person you can think of in history or today, I, I don't care, and make everybody like him. There was no, <laughs> there was nothing on the earth that was good. And we try to, you know, we look at it in terms like, well, will God come and do this to us again? There is so much good on this earth. There is so much grace. There is so much love. There's, there's a lot of bad stuff. But can you imagine it? Everyone was filled with nothing but evil. Pure evil. At the time of Noah, to the time of the cross then, was a period of God, training's not the right word, uh, enlightening mankind through the nation of Israel. A time of the law and the prophets, foreshadowing of Christ coming to the earth and doing away with this understanding though this understanding still is there today but the cause of that understanding has been removed because it was removed at the cross so what I want to do is in my message that grace will forever be with you or forever follow you I want to start focusing in now on the on the cross and what happened at the cross what Jesus did, what happened to Jesus, why it happened to Jesus, and what what could change. I have a couple of verses to try to set this up. Matthew eleven twenty seven. Jesus said, All things are delivered unto me of my Father. No man knoweth the Son, but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son. And he to whomever the Son will reveal him. Jesus is saying here to the people, he says, You don't know the Father. I only know the Father. And it's just that relationship between us. You cannot know who I am in the Father and until I reveal it to you. I'm sure this caused a lot of anger in the religious community as it went on. 
Jesus at one time said in John 14, in verse 9, he said, Jesus saith unto him, and he's talking to Philip, when Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus said to him, how have I not been long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me has seen the Father. And he saith unto them, show us the Father. He's telling Philip, he says, look, Philip, why are you saying show us the Father? Don't you know me? I am the Father. I am the perfect representative of the Father. What you see in me here, my grace, my love, is everything the Father had. Now, I want to bring the Trinity in here because the Trinity has been pushed off to the side in a lot of evangelical churches. It's, it's Jesus. And you see it in the, in the music. It's Jesus. It's almost like the Trinity was here and we, we came to the fall and, you know, okay, we're going to let the people go on their cells and, and Jesus is, you know, just, and the Trinity is just out here. But Jesus is the one that had to come to earth and Jesus had to be the one to go to be crucified and, and Jesus was forsaken by the Father and the Father left him alone. Not at all true. The Trinity is perfect unity. Wherever Jesus went, the Father went. And that's what it's saying in here. It says in John 1, 5, 1 John 5, verse 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. There is no separation between the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father. Wherever Jesus went, the Father went. Wherever the Father went, Jesus went. The Holy Spirit was always there. You could not separate them. Sometimes you get the idea that God is sitting up in this great throne room in heaven with all the angels saying how wonderful you are while his son's down on the earth going through what he went through and then went through the crucifixion and said, the Father goes, okay, Holy Spirit, bring him back. No. The Holy Spirit... And the Father were with Jesus the whole time. Never, never let him go. Never, never let him go. Was always with him. And God's grace flowed through our timeline, our humanity, right up to the cross. Because of Adam's sin, his mind was unable to see or have relationship with the Lord. What may be worse is that he believed he was right. See, we're taught in this separation, duality, that God's over here and we're over there, and that's just the way it is, and, we, and we've got to work our way back to him and ask him into our lives. You've got to do good now. Don't do this. Don't do that. But Adam believed he was right. Before we started into this grace message, what, five years ago or so? And if you you could go back to the beginning, we believed we were right, too. But we repented, we changed our way, we thought about God. 
And it wasn't just because of one person came into our presence and, and said something to us and we go, yep, you're right. Now, this was, we've done a lot of digging into this. We've done a lot of studying into this. A lot of time is put in on to, to check the scripture and make sure it's right. What it says it's what it is what it says. But Adam believed it was right. You could go out to any church here in Grand Rapids and you could ask them right now, are you separated from God? Yes, it's my sin and I have to repent. Every night I, I, I ask God to forgive every one of my sins. Then he accomplished that at the cross. Oh no, I, I've got I've got to, you know, Scripture's clear on that. John three nineteen says, And this is a commendation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Thursday night we were talking a little bit about not taking one side or the other on the Supreme Court justice being elected into the Supreme Court. And I guess the comment that bothered me more than anything was one person said, we may not have been able to stop him, but we ruined his family. We took pleasure in degrading this man. True or false, we took pleasure in doing this to him. Sad commentary. Sad commentary. Man takes pleasure in his evilness. I used to take pleasure in my evilness. I know none of you ever did anything evil and found great pleasure in it. Okay? We'll leave that. What's scary is sometimes when you do something evil, there is pleasure in it. Fleshly pleasure. But there's consequences of sin. So Jesus had to come into the world and he had to, with the Trinity, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, had to do something about this. He had to break this cycle of men not believing. Living in this mind of darkness. I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I've... I've People who have gone far, far into a dark place in their lives will hit a spot when they'll go, how did I ever get here? How did I ever get into this darkness so far? I can't say I've ever said that, but I have times when I've walked those paths in my life and I'm going, wait, no, no, don't go there. It's easy to walk those paths. It's easy to walk into that darkness and, and love the darkness. Then people don't like to be challenged on their darkness. People don't like to talk about their darkness. They don't want anybody to challenge them on it. And heaven forbid, have Jesus look at it. Well, I tell you, Jesus is right there. And the darkest spot in your life, 
And if you've ever seen the movie The Shack or, or read it, The Shack is a metaphor of Mackenzie's darkness in his life. A place where he thought nobody knew how black it was, that Jesus would never come in there and touch him and hold him. It was just a place of anger and bitterness and hurt. And we all have those shacks in our lives. We, we really do. But for Jesus. Baxter Kruger in, in this book said Jesus was the Father's own Son, the Creator, and the Anointed One in the Holy Spirit. And you think about it, we, we tend to throw Jesus' life into the, the last couple days of his life, into the crucifixion and the resurrection. But he had over 30 years that he walked sinless. I'm sure he was mocked. I'm sure he was called a bastard. Because Mary was pregnant before she was married. I'm sure he went through all that stuff. His brothers and sisters probably mocked him just because they're brothers and sisters. Can you imagine Jesus' brother? Your father is who? Really? Think about it. Oh, you're so good. Mom always liked you best. <laughs> he went through all that. He went through everything we've gone through. But he didn't sin. He didn't sin. He didn't, he didn't come against them. He didn't attack them. It was not just the last three days. It was not just the last three years of his ministry when he was, they wanted to stone him and kill him and, and get rid of him. Jesus was delivered. He healed. He restored. He gave sight to the blind and he raised the dead. And for that, he was rejected. He was mocked. He was abused. They plotted against him. He was accused of being a demon-possessed person. He was derided. He was scoffed. He was beaten. He was crucified. And the pleasure, with the pleasure and the approval of his own people, they took pleasure in crucifying him. They approved of them crucifying. John 1, 11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They took pleasure in doing this. They took pleasure. Even though he was here to restore all things, they had no clue who he was. From Jesus we learn two things. One is Adam's fall involves us in the most vile and ungodly blindness. See, Baxter Kruger includes us in that. I don't know, I might debate that with him because we're after the cross. But we have that tinge in us that 
not in our flesh, but in our mindset that we did this. We were involved in this. And secondly, that man would go to any length to have him eliminated. They did not like the light. They loved the darkness. And we are going to eliminate the light. The wrath that was poured out on Calvary's hill did not originate in the Father's heart. He says it was in ours. It was in the heart of the people at the time. It wasn't the Father's wrath and anger and hatred that took Jesus to the cross. It was what was in our heart that took Jesus to the cross so he could deal with it, that he could go into the darkest place. You see, when Jesus was crucified and gave up his life, submitted to the Father's will, the Trinity was there. The Trinity reached down with Jesus into the darkest spots in your life and brought you out of that. God did not turn his back on his son because of the sin. They were never separated. Throughout scripture it says he would never leave his son. You can't break the Trinity up and say God just left. I I think of Elisha when he was mocking the priests of Baal. He mocked them because he said, their God, what are you doing? Is he out getting something to eat? Is he going to the bathroom? That's why he was mocking them. Because God would never leave. God reached down into your darkest, darkest sin. And I don't care what it is. I don't care ever to hear what your darkest, darkest places are. I don't care who did what to who or how and when. Because everybody, there's always somebody who has a better story than you if you want to look at it that way. But I tell you, the true story is that God came down there and he brought each one of us out of it. And he seated mankind, everyone, every person. He sat them at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. He restored us back to this place because grace was always there. He restored us back to that spot. It wasn't something that had to be broken other than our own mindset. And that's where we struggle today, is our mindset. We keep hearing that, no, you've you got to be good enough. You've got to be good enough for God. you got to, you know, don't bring any unclean thing. You know, that's Old Testament. We're not in that training period anymore. We're in the period where we should be living as God is in us because as He is, so am I right now in this world. We should be living. Everything that God has and is, is in us. And we should be walking that out in our lives. But we're hesitant. We're fearful because we think something's going to happen or somebody's going to be angry in what we do. But God has set us up for absolute victory. And as soon as you start walking in absolute victory, you will get chastised. Because there still are people who love the darkness more than they love the light.
I want to read just a couple chapters out of this book because Baxter Kruger can put it much better than Gray could ever even try to translate what he said. And this is really just a summing up of, of my message. I want you to understand who you are in God and Christ and the Holy Spirit because they are all there with you. They all hold you. They all love you. And you should be living a life of them flowing out of you. I know none of us in here do that totally yet. But we get glimpses. We get glimpses. We don't have to call God down from heaven. We don't have to ask for the anointing. We don't have to feel bad when somebody over there gets the anointing. Or somebody shakes real bad. Or laughs funny. Or slain in the spirit. They have no more anointing than you have at that moment. Because we have all been given the same measure. And that measure is, as it says in the 23rd Psalms, he anointed my head with oil and my cup runneth over. There is more in you than you can stand. Your flesh can act like it wants. It doesn't matter. Baxter Kruger says, Such is the way of the Trinitarian love of God for us and our terrible darkness. Jesus embraced our hell as the womb of his incarnation. In person, the Son of God walked into the room of our fierce conflict with God and bore our animosity. Who would ever have imagined that the Father's Son himself would have come among us? Let alone allow himself to be rejected, damned, and cursed by his own creation. Most profoundly, Jesus' death expresses the Trinitarian mystery of self-surrender at the heart of divine reality. Such astounding love, such care, such determination to be with us and to share life is beyond our wildest dreams. It cannot be, but so it is. For the Father's Son did come, he did enter into the trauma of Adam's fall. He did not pretend that all was well. He did not abandon us and move on to another, more important things. He did not shout instructions from the sidelines of the conflict. He did not retaliate. His presence stirred up the hell of Adam's fall and we poured out our sin upon him and cursed him. Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, the Anointed One, stepped into the arena of our hostility and deliberately submitted himself to suffer our damnation. And we damned him. Enter Jesus. Again, this is from Baxter Kruger. Jesus entered into the den of our iniquity, thereby establishing a real relationship between the Blessed Trinity and us in our twisted prejudice. Jesus reached us in our fallen minds, personally clothing the abyss between his Father's dream for our adoption and our insane blindness. 
The death of Jesus was an act of inclusion. He was including the real us, the fallen, helpless, broken, rebellious us, in his fellowship with his Father. In dying, Jesus became the mercy seat, the place where the blessed Trinity personally suffered and endured sinners and their sin in astonishingly mercy. It deserves repeat again. The gospel is not the news that we can accept an absent Jesus into our lives, which means we don't ask Jesus, you're not in my life, come come on Jesus, come, come on into my life. I, I give you permission to enter my life. I hope the sarcasm was noticed. The gospel is the news that the Father's Son has received us into his. In Jesus, the alien world of our darkness and pain and our obstinate pride and anger were drawn within the life of the Blessed Trinity. The Trinitarian life of God set up shop in our hell forever. Our adoption is not a mere theological doctrine. Adoption is the way things really are now and forever. See, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did this all for us. We still have a skewed mind. We still stumble over things of the past and things that are going on. We still have those. But that does not change the grace that is there for us to receive and to live in. We have been adopted. You know, my uh, son, who's 28 now, was adopted. His uh, mom was a, a young woman, I think 16 years old, already had one child, no high school education, and gave Seth, as we named him, up at the hospital. She didn't even take him home. And I, and I see in us, in our adoption by Christ, or by God in the Trinity, I, I, I see this in Seth. Because Seth's first emotions were, why didn't my mom want me? Why did we have to do it this way? This isn't right. And a lot of times we look at God's adoption of us as, this isn't right. Why'd you do it this way? Wasn't I all right? What was wrong with me that I had to do something, God? I'm just going to live my life out. Seth can live his life out the way he wants. He's still my son. He's my adopted son. Not just legally, but family-wise. It doesn't change anything. See, his perception of adoption is his to deal with. I can give him instructions. I can tell him what we feel, what we know, what we knew then, and what's going on. But it's still his choice. Do I accept it, or do I reject you all and go off in my own way? It's the same 
between you and the Trinity. You have been adopted. You have been drawn in. You have been made sons and daughters of God. Everyone has. But God's not going to force you to love him. The adoption that he gave to you is your choice. Do I accept the adoption? Do I accept his love? Do I accept his peace? Do I accept his glory? Do I accept everything that I could ever want? Or will I reject it and will I love the darkness more than the light? That's what it really comes down to us. That's how it ends. It's your choice to make. Do you like the adoption? Do you like your papa? Do you like your brother? Do you love the spirit? There's no perfect way of showing that. Denominations make that rules and regulations. You have to do this. You have to do that. Papa just loves you. Just the way you are. But you need to change your minds. You need to repent. Which totally means something different to most people. But as we understand it, as we need to change our mind is what we think about God. It's not to cry and beat our chests and say we're sorry. He knows we're sorry and he knows when we're not sorry. But he loves us because he went through the darkness of hell, the pit, all three of them together to give us the opportunity to be in his fellowship and his family and be adopted again. Yea, God. <laughs>